second day in a row, we're starting pretty deep in the red. Can we battle back once again? Hmm, I don't know. going to be a little bit tougher. Triple D has a filter. It has 1,000 stocks in it. 12 are up. How many are in your portfolio? And let's guess what sector they're in. Eric Kroll at 835 to discuss the IPO market or lack of IPO market. We got to talk the airline industry. It's a Wednesday. It's pre-market prep. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I'm bidding a penny. I'd buy that stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. All right, good morning, traders and investors. We're down 20 and a half handles, 44.78. Just could not do anything off that opening bell and uh, at 6 p.m. and uh, banging on our four-day low. So we'll keep an eye on this current low at 47.68.75. The buck over 103, that's up a couple pennies, 103.14. Let's call the bonds flat at 121. Crude. Can't hold a rally down a buck 61 at 70.79. Gold slipping back towards 2K down 40 cents at 2029.80. Silver under 23 down 14.8 cents at 22.94. And Bitcoin, well, we are a ways away from that high. Bitcoin futures down $540 at 42,755. Triple D is was there an 8 a.m. sell program in here? We just no. uh Lost a couple handles. How you feeling, buddy? How you doing? Same thing. Just uh, I think this is going to be the forever flu bug here. I'm okay. I'm fighting through it, but congested. I'm, I'm, I don't feel like you know my heart's giving out here anymore. So which is good news. So we're coming, um, but it's going to be a long battle. This flu bug. This one's just been a bad one. All right. But let's bring in AB. AB here. Good morning to you, AB. Live from the Motor City there. How are things in the mo Did you get some ice skating in this morning? I did not. A little too cold for that. Wind chill of about negative 15 degrees. Uh, by the time I walked the 20 seconds out to my car and got in my car, I mean, it, it took about the whole drive-in for my hands to thaw out. So I don't think I would have lasted long on the ice rink. Okay. Should we start with the turbulence in the airline industry? Let's do that. You know, I mean, the airlines, they know, they usually know how to deal with turbulence, but I don't know if Spirit Airlines ticker SAVE, S-A-V-E, is going to be able to tolerate this type of turbulence. Stock closed down more than 40% yesterday after a U.S. federal judge uh, nixed the SAVE and JetBlue merger. JetBlue was set to take over uh, Spirit Airlines for $3.8 billion. Now, yesterday, before... This drop, Spirit was trading at about a $1.5 billion market cap. So if you were looking at that, you kind of you kind of had a feeling, okay, the market isn't that bullish on this deal going through. Because typically, if, a, if a, a merger is expected or an acquisition is expected to pass, you'll see it trading closer to around, I don't know, 10% of that buyout price, not 50%, not, you know, not half of it. So um, a lot of people, it looked like, expected this thing 
not to go through. Um, but some people probably were, were still holding the stock, wow. uh, hoping this thing would go through. People got out of it quickly. You had an analyst note saying that that Spirit might not be able to make it. Spirit might might be going under now after this deal was closed off. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, look, I'll be honest, guys. I've, I I do fly Spirit sometimes. I mean, the, the ticket prices. Oh, you, you just can't beat them. But uh, um, I mean, I, I would not be I, I might buy a Spirit ticket here and there, but I would not be buying the Spirit stock down here. Man, are they going under? I mean, that's the way the market's acting right now, Dennis. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think the market probably knows something here. I mean, you don't see mergers like this just collapse. And the analyst, I'm not sure who it was, but I heard them, I heard CNBC talking about it, um, worrying about whether they are going to go under here or not. Um, I mean, here you are, you're a regulator, you're trying to give the consumer the best price as possible. You're blocking mergers to try to, you know, obviously stop, you know, two companies from merging together that you believe can price fix. It's pretty much the only reason for blocking uh -huh. these things. And you could potentially put one of the discount carriers out of business because of your blocking this merger. I mean, the market is saying that here. I'm, I've never seen a stock collapse like that, like, you know, to new all-time lows. So, obviously, there's some concerns about it, save being a going concern here going forward. It's down another $1.70. I don't know what to say. If the merger is truly dead, and it looks like it is, it doesn't look like the stock is. <laughs> it, it, no the way it's trading, it. it looks like it may not survive. It, it, it's, it's what it looks like. It's crazy. Yeah, this is... Go ahead. I, I'm just well. The only thing I was going to say was that I, I kind of thought this thing was kind of like in limbo already. I it's mean, been in they, limbo for a long time. Ah, Obviously, yeah. they thought that there was still a chance it was going to go through at a discount price or something. But the flat out block here has people concerned that save isn't. I, I I'm kind of flabbergasted to be honest because you'd think a lot of this was priced in. I mean, this was years in the making of or not making this merger. $15.52 and then yesterday, intraday announced officially deals dead and the stock falls 50%. They have to halt it because news comes out intraday and you get a little bit of a bounce towards, you know, the afternoon holds up, gives all of that back here now. I mean, six bucks is your line in the sand here. But yeah. if you're here now, this is nothing more than an option at this point in time. So you can't just say, well, I know Save's a good company. I know they're going to be there. We don't know anything. We know we've had lots of airline failures in the past in market pricing it like it could fail here so i think speculative capital only you want to take a shot and lottery six dollar lottery ticket you can go for it but this is definitely not safe not safe uh at, at all but uh so the analyst was coming from td cohen uh helene becker she said a couple things a yep. uh that she expects spirit to look for another buyer right now but that since <laughs> Uh, JetBlue made the offer for Spirit. Spirit's business has declined significantly. So that she actually sees this deal falling through as a positive for JetBlue because they were about to, uh, you know, acquire this this company that had been on the on the downturn since it had made the acquisition offer. 
Um, but she said if, if they're if they aren't able, if Spirit is not able to find another buyer, uh, then Chapter 11 bankruptcy could be on the table. Oh. Uh, she said Frontier could be a name that could come back in. Frontier did make an offer for Spirit uh, in 2022 before JetBlue came in with a bigger offer. So, I mean, but I don't know. At that point, why would the judge let the Frontier Spirit merger go no. through and not the JetBlue one. I don't know. I don't understand. So my question is this, this gets really ugly. And let's say we have continued deterioration in the price of SAVE. Does the judge second guess it? Do they say, well, you know, just destroying a company or allowing a company to go into chapter 11 sounds a lot worse than allowing a merger to go through. I mean, at a certain point, you know, does the judge say, maybe I screwed up. That's a good no, point. Dennis. I mean, Go ahead, you don't think so. I mean, can they do that? I mean, can they do they whatever appeal? they want. Yeah, they appeal. I, I, I mean, I mean, if the alternative is bankruptcy, and I did not know this, like I haven't followed it closely enough. I did not realize that if SAV goes doesn't get this deal to go through, that they're in trouble. I didn't know that, but the market is telling us that. This analyst is telling us that. Market price don't lie. We say that all the time. Price don't lie. Stock goes from fifteen to six, and not bouncing. I mean, it's telling you there's problems here. So that's bottom line is as us as traders and us as investors buy good companies and reasonable valuations. When I hear about chapter 11, these are not the companies you're looking for. Yeah. And then, I mean, to your point, Dennis, I mean, there aren't that many discount airlines out there. You have Frontier, you have uh, Spirit. But a lot of times when you look, when you're looking at flights, like, you know, it seems like all the uh, all of the airlines kind of set prices around the same, and then Spirit and Frontier are actually able to undercut a little bit, and then of course they charge more for bags and whatnot. But I mean that 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 is important for a consumer to have those options. And if all of a yeah. sudden you've only got United, Delta, airline, and Southwest, and all their prices are like the same always, then that's not great for the consumer. So, uh, it, you know, definitely will be a, a story to watch. Uh, and and we should, I feel like, be able to tell from price action throughout the rest of this week if the market looks like or feels like Spirit's going to be able to make it or not. Uh, we should uh, should just talk about this Boeing real quick. And we're yeah. staying a holy macro, Dennis. You were talking about 200. I took my sure eye that. off this yesterday and boom, down again, kiss 200. Uh, gonna fill the gap at uh, 197.26. Uh, that was uh, going back to that gap in November. But like we said, man, once this Boeing gets going one direction, it's hard to stop it. And wow, what a whooping that took yesterday. Yeah, a continued whooping. It was 212 or 213 in the pre market when we were talking about it yesterday. And I'm like, it's come this far. It looks like it wants to have a date with 200. Sometimes trading's just that easy have your number, you know, you're with the momentum and look at where your target is and boom, right back down there to 200. Is this the bounce area? Well, this would oh, be an area where you think it could bounce, but, you know, this thing's got all kinds of problems going on right now. So I wasn't really saying 200 to come in here and buy it. I was saying 200 <laughs> to cover in a short if you were short the thing. So it's here right now, 199.36 here in the pre-market. Uh, 180 is big too, but you know, you'd, you'd think you're going to get it's over getting to a point of oversold. You think you're going to get a bounce here eventually, but I'm not trading this for a bounce because, again, I just don't know what the next piece of news is coming out. You know, what if they find more loose parts? What if something else happens? I mean, the story is still unfolding. It's hard to just be a hero and say, yep, this is the buy when the story is still unfolding. 
And uh, just, uh, I just want to go make a little bit of bigger picture here uh, and talk about, you know, Delta here, Delta Airlines. And uh, boy, oh boy, I, I, I don't think Q4 earnings season is off to, at least on the price action, is off to a good start at all. I'm a little bit com- uh, concerned here about the overall market. I mean, look at Delta, run up to 42. They didn't like the report, lower guidance. This thing is down uh, five, six bucks from its high, just in a heartbeat. It's turned. And then the other company that had good earnings and made a new all-time high is down again. JP Morgan down a buck 22. I know the Goldman or the Morgan Stanley news didn't help it yesterday, but Little bit of concern here, at least early in the price action uh, yeah. Q4 earnings, Dennis. I mean, yeah. maybe that, and that again, slowdown. It's, it's just a repeat of 2023. What we have happening here is that they are buying AI plays. NVIDIA's and AMD's both up here again this morning. Both had an awesome day yesterday. Oh, yeah. Um, and they're selling everything like IWM. They're selling traditional companies. They are right back to that playbook here. IWM, let's talk about that for a second here. I mean, we went the move from 160, where we had the huge support down at the end of October, to, you know, the Fed, you know, driving the bus here. Interest rate's going to go, you know, TLT rally. We know IWM, TLT linked completely. You can put those two charts on top of each other. Last two months, very close. Up to 205. So they had a 45-point move. Take off 25 would bring you back down to about the 180 level or 188. So 50% retracement of the entire move. This awesome move we had last year would only be eight bucks away here now on the IWM. So it's not within striking distance, but now we can start talking about it here. I mean, that's a logical place for IWM to bounce. We're coming back down and giving away, you know, all the Powell gains from when, you know, obviously came out and said we're going to start lowering rates immediately, which obviously wasn't the case but that's what the market interpreted it as. I mean, again, it's the same companies that we still have issues is that higher rates have murdered the IWM and all those smaller companies. Higher rates are slowing those companies down. We know tech, we know like we've talked about even stocks like Apple surviving higher rates because you know what? People will find $1,500 and still 0% financing on Apple iPhones. You get, you know, bigger ticket stuff, it gets harder. You know, why is Tesla separating? Well, if rates are still staying higher or potentially going higher, in the case of the TLT, rates have actually started to increase again here. We went from $101 down to 94 Are we going back to the lows at 82 83 I don't think so. But are we, and you know, are we going straight down on rates? No. So this market is just repricing risk to a certain extent here. Until TLT starts to catch a bed, you're going to see this overall broad market and these small caps lag. So while we're talking about rates, we should mention some uh, some kind of macro news. Yesterday, Fed Governor Christopher Waller spoke midday uh, and basically, you know, expressed caution and didn't say we're not going to cut rates. He just said we're going to be cautious with this. We're not going to cut rates maybe as quickly um, or as rapidly as we had in the past. So it kind of spooked the markets. Um, but to your point, Dennis, earlier, I mean, we, we, we've mentioned a few names here. I mean, NVIDIA and AMD, 
typically in the past, those types of high tech growth stocks get hit on on rate news like that. And they didn't really. They stayed resilient. So obviously the market was, you know, not fearful that higher rates were going to, you know, crush AMD and NVIDIA. You can see a slight dip, but the, the, then they recovered uh, yesterday nicely. So. Uh, the overall market took a hit on this uh, on on uh, Waller's comments yesterday. Again, basically just saying, "Hey, everyone it was so excited for these rate cuts. They might not be coming as quickly uh, if inflation stays where it's at." He said the Fed will have no reason to uh, cut rates in the way that some people had anticipated. Uh, so, kind of, I mean, if you're in the if you were in the higher for longer camp, you like to hear those comments from Waller yesterday. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned Tesla as well, Dennis. Uh, we did have a headline on 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 Tesla as well overnight. Uh, lots of news with Tesla this week between what we talked yeah. about yesterday, Elon Musk wanting more shares. Um, but going back to the Waller's uh, to Waller's comments, Joel, can you see in the charts exactly when? Uh, yeah, I mean, he was. Yeah, that, it was, it was 11, 1130 a.m. Yeah, yeah. Yep. They ran it up. That's when they ran it up to uh, uh, right here. This is when he was making the comments and, you know, the old noon balloon, right? Uh, you went right up to uh, unchanged on the session. And then after he got done speaking is uh, when uh, the market started to pull back. I I did see on one of the, you know, FedWatch tools that they're, they're backing off that March rate cut right now. I think it's down. It was up over 80% probability and now it's down to 65 uh, something that we were all surprised about that they were going to do this about face in March. So, uh, and, and the other comment you made, Dennis, about giving back to Powell Gaines. Well, IWM has the S and P's are still still holding up, but uh, the way the S and P is full of a lot of tech stocks yeah. that are very resilient. Again, the playbook when we were in a higher rate environment was buying mega cap tech because they could weather the storm. But not only that is that we know the products that they sell are not really relatively that expensive, you know, like, yeah, you know, there's like we've, what we've talked about the iPhone, you know, $1,500, 0% financing, people find the money for that. So there's certain things that it's almost like a consumer staple. So Apple held up. Well, it was a place of hiding. Um, I want to bring this conversation back to AI, though, because we're seeing the big moves in AMD and NVIDIA, and we know AI is good for NVIDIA and AMD and Microsoft. Is AI good for the overall economy? Is AI a good thing? Because are we not going to replace a lot of blue-collar jobs if we continue to build on AI? Like, you know, Musk is talking about having, you know, robots doing all the monotonous tasks that so many other people, you know, do. These are real jobs that are going to potentially be replaced in the future. That's real money that won't be spent if the consumer starts to obviously, um, you know, get get you know a little bit more strapped if they start to lose jobs. I mean, we're obviously putting the cart before the horse because jobs have been very resilient. We haven't seen anything like this in the data. But just, you know, throwing it out there to the chat, is AI a good thing for the overall economy? Mm. I know I, I want to own NVIDIA. I know I want to own AMD. And I know AI is not going away. But is AI well, you know, the cause of why IWM wants to continuously lag? And does that lag continue? Like, let's just say we move into this artificial intelligence world where, you know, like, think about the Disney Plus movie, The Creator. They just came out with that. I don't know if you saw a chance to see it, A.B., uh, but they, you know, they're they're talking, you know, and, and it's obviously gets a little bit silly, and they get into war with AI and all this stuff. 
by you know talking about just you know ai coming in and doing all you know tasks like you know here's ai doing your dishes here's ai taking out your garbage here's ai you know performing surgeons for doctors you know like which we have a little bit with intuitive surgical already but the difference between ai and robotics is robotics are doing exactly what they're programmed to do where ai can figure stuff out and start changing what they're doing not following their code specifically here but if we do have this advancement in ai eventually you got to think that's going to start to replace some low collar you know or blue collar jobs it, was it one of our guests that said it's not going to be ai taking your taking someone's job it's going to be someone using ai i i mean i i agree and i think you'll see dennis in certain sectors like i think uh for example the trucking industry like like some of these I think you'll you'll see those dominoes start to fall first and, it, and it'll give us kind of some insight into what's going to, you know, kind of reverberate throughout the rest of the economy. Um, but what I will say, I guess, on the flip side to maybe why people shouldn't be so worried about, oh, my God, you know, everyone's going to lose their jobs. People made that same argument uh, a number of times before. First, during the Industrial Revolution, in the 1860s, people said, oh, my God, these machines are coming in. And going to take everyone's jobs. I mean, people wrote about that back then. And then again, 100 years later, in the 1950s and 1960s, when computers first came out, said, oh, my God, uh, this is going to take everyone's jobs. What happened both times were the, the, that technology created a lot more jobs and created a lot more economic growth. So is this a different animal than computers in the 1960s or machines in the 1860s? Yes, it's completely different. Um, but if history tells us anything, it's that technological advancements will create more jobs uh, and help further the economy. Uh, again, uh, un until that's not true, and, and maybe that's this time, I don't know. But uh, yeah, I mean, just again, people have been kind of, uh, you know, making those arguments for a long time and so mm -hmm. far hasn't panned out. And, and that's why we bet on stocks and we bet on America. My, my argument here would be, do I want to be in the stocks that I know benefit from AI or do I want to be in stocks that I think will eventually benefit from AI as in like IWM being a lot of smaller companies that don't have direct, you know, benefit, but maybe eventually, you know, they can take part in, you know, AI and then get more efficient and then start to make more money in those ways. I just think we're having separation here again. I don't know if this separation is going to go away. I know Tom Lee has said, IWM and small caps are going to have a catch-up here. Ryan Dietrich has said the same thing. IWM is going to have a catch-up here. I own some IWM in my long-term portfolio. I lightened up. You did. I was you had a good sale there. Yep. I, I lightened up because I felt like, you know, in the end of December, one, we had gone too far too fast, but I just wanted to reallocate into more AI pure plays. You know, and that's why I bought more NVIDIA, and that's why I bought, you know, at AMD previously. I bought SMCI. You know, I was trying, you know, I was talking about buying Marvell, which I never did. But I just think that this economy is going to get driven so much that I'm just scared some of the small caps get left behind again. Um, well, Dennis, you did mention Tesla and Elon Musk. I mean, obviously trying to be big players in this AI space. We did have some news with Tesla overnight. More price cuts. Tes Tesla slashed. Uh, price uh, car prices across Europe, and this comes a week after similar cuts in China. Uh, I mean, look, like you know, when they cut prices in China, I think some Tesla bulls could could try to kind of shrug that off and say, "Hey, well, China's super weak right now. You've got increased competition from the, all these other Chinese names like Boyd, 
But when they're cutting prices across the world, I mean, that can't that can't be a good sign for a Tesla and B just EV demand in general. Uh, stock trading lower this morning, but not by too much. Joel, how are we looking? Down four bucks, fifteen ninety one. Had a good turnaround day yesterday. Uh, didn't quite get to that uh, low at the uh, two uh, two eleven area, I believe two eleven sixty one. So a little bit of a check back. Uh, well, got pretty close two twelve. So if you're looking at a swing trade here or something like that, you got two lows in the same area. Lead on that. Under that, it looks like uh, two hundred uh, could be written on this thing. Market certainly. Uh, not helping it today as well. Big component of the S&P. And uh, you got to respect that close now at 1991 after that uh, uh, nice rebound yesterday. That actually broke a, uh, a four-day losing streak, one up day. Let's see if they can go back to back. But uh, right now, uh, Tesla's starting out in the hole. 212, yesterday's low. Let's see what it does there. Can it put in a double bottom? I think it tests it. Does it hold is the question. Um, you never want price cuts. I mean, we've got issues here with demand. If they're giving, if they're doing price cuts, it's telling me demand is softening. Low, yep. and it's it's predictable that demand's going to soften. We've been talking about this. Higher ticket stuff is going to have trouble finding more buyers in 2024. It's the financing rates. I mean, again, some of the auto companies are working, you know, and trying to you know help out and trying to get these sub these financing rates down to five six percent here again it's but you know it's uh it is it's difficult in a higher rate environment people are not just swimming in cash anymore they're not just like oh zero percent financing why wouldn't i own a new car no it's seven percent financing on some of these cars eight percent ten percent depending on your credit i mean that's an issue for going out and buying a new car even myself i'm like i could afford a new car but you know what do i want to pay seven eight nine percent financing on it no, and, and then again, the sticker price of these things, like, you know, where we were buying in Canada, Canadian prices, but I bought my 2017 F-150. I think I paid $62,000 Canadian. And it's pretty, it's a nice truck. Laredo, nice truck, leather interior. I think that truck's a, almost $100,000 now. Really? So Yeah, so it, Canadian. So, right. you know, oh, you knock off stuff. 30%. But you think about, like, do you want to pay 75000 for a truck US? You want to go and... Like buy a brand new truck, or do you want to just drive that a little bit farther? I'm like, I'm gonna drive mine just a little bit more, you know, drive it for an extra couple of years, try to get the money back on that end, because I don't feel like going and buying a hundred thousand dollar truck. So I think there's an issue. And I look at the Ford dealership, and this is why I think the recent rallies in General Motors and Ford are a gift. I look at that Ford dealership. There are so many cars on the lot. So many trucks, like they were saying before, oh, supply issues, you can't get a truck a year and a half ago, two years ago. That is not the case anymore. There's got to be 50 trucks in the lot, the local lot. Like, it's just littered with trucks. So that makes me not really, you know, concerned that I'm like, I better go buy one now because there won't be one there tomorrow. You know, no, there's a whole pile to choose from there. Now, if my truck breaks down, you know, I blow a tranny, you know, I start dumping money into it, maybe it's a different story. But, you know, these, it, it's just not in the environment where people are just swimming in cash and going to go buy new vehicles. So this is the one ticket that I think really gets hurt in 2024. I think people auto demand, I think really slows. Do you know when the best time to buy a new car is like on a, like a timing basis at the end of the month, because the guys want to make their quotas and stuff. And that's when you can, they get try to do deal. deals. Yeah. They're trying to they push try deals. To do deals at but the end you know, you've got to be in the buying market here. Yeah. Like normally, 
I so normally I replace my truck every five to six years. I like driving a new vehicle, and you know, zero percent financing is you know a pretty solid option. Um, but you know, when it's financing is seven eight percent here, I'm like, no, I don't feel like it. that's your market return. Your long term market return, folks, is eight point two percent. That's what the market has averaged over like the last hundred years. It's not twenty. It's not forty. It's not eighty. Like the Nasdaq or whatever the hell it did last year. The Qs. It's eight percent. So I mean, when you're going to financing your car at eight percent, you might as well just give up your entire market return on that amount of money. So I think I'd rather just have the money in the market here and try to like work that or or, or in some type of you know vehicle, some type of you know even cash. But I just can't stomach paying eight percent. We got retail sales coming here in a minute. Yep. Well, I uh, yeah, we got retail. So we got a lot of economic data this morning, but I think retail sales will be the biggest number. I'll read that here in a minute. Um, speaking of economic data, overnight in China, GDP came in, missed estimates. Uh, GDP for the last three months of 2023 rose by 5.2%. Uh, that's below the 5.3% growth forecast. Uh, I mean, like, honestly, 5.2% growth in the in Q4 for China. That doesn't sound that bad. I mean, I wouldn't even awesome. Right. Like you expect, like you look at these Chinese names, you look how people are writing the headlines about China and you, and, uh, you would have thought that the GDP was negative 5%, but it was 5.2%, but it still missed estimates. Um, they, they started posting youth unemployment. I think we got some weak numbers. Week, oh, on, week, on retail week. sales. Yeah, let's see another another leg down here. Another hard leg down waiting on the retail sales. Pre-market low 6875. Uh, retail sales came in uh uh let's see. Core retail sales in December up 0.4% versus 0.2% estimates. So actually came oh, in hot, hotter. Hot 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 hot. hot. Uh, yeah. so that's probably yeah, not good for inflation worries and rate worries. Uh, U.S. export price index was negative 0.9% versus 0.6%. I don't know how much we care about the export or import price index. Uh, but either way, retail sales coming in uh, a little hot. So, yeah, yeah uh, Joel, you think that's the market saying yeah, worry about, yeah, worry about yeah, inflation? I mean, I, yeah, I, I, with the way the bad news is good news and good news is bad news here, they don't like this number because this just says that, you know, we're still humming along. That uh, what what uh, Powell gave us with you know the the rate cuts. I think this is even going to move the March you know uh, lower percentage on the March rate March rate cut and push it out to June. I mean people are still spending, and you would think so. This is for December, right? So people were still spending; they were still getting those Christmas presents. I think wait till we see maybe the the February number because maybe people tapped out at you know at Christmas and and spent the money uh but uh right now just I think just the tone just the overall market tone has really changed here and uh really I mean selling selling rips right here is I think is going to be your your best strategy here not only you know through Q4 earnings season here it just seems like we're just hanging on and diffuse the IWM for any kind of an indicator here. I mean, that had, Dennis, I remember when you sold that and I was looking or sold that portion, I was looking at the 50% retracement uh, from that 2021 high. That was like at the 204 area. And we got up to what? Almost to 205. I mean, that was just a textbook move here. Whereas the S&P, it's still just, you know, Still kind of hanging in here. I mean, that chart looks a lot different, as you said, that's because of the tech, you know, the big tech component to it here. But uh, it seems like just the momentum, we really have lost the, the upward momentum. 
It's a separation here happening again. And I'm going to keep saying the 2023 playbook is coming back here. And it's basically, if you don't have a play a direct play on AI, the market is not interested. If you do have a direct play on AI, the market is so interested. I mean, look at the stocks making new 52-week highs yesterday. NVIDIA, Microsoft, AMD. These are stocks that are talked nonstop on CNBC about AI. Nonstop. People hate NVIDIA. They absolutely hate this stock because they're like, it's so overvalued. It's going to crash down to 100 bucks or to 200 bucks. They're wrong, man. It's not. It's in my Nassau trade. The valuation, people can argue all these valuation metrics that they want. The valuation is not actually that crazy here. And we've talked about it, you know, 26, 27, 28 times earnings. AMD's stretched. It's almost 50 times forward earnings here now. When we bought it back at 95, it was trading 28, 29 times earnings. And I thought it was reasonable. It's starting to get, to, you know, stretched. But with that being said, we saw what happened with NVIDIA's earnings and how they started to grow. AMD hasn't had this huge increase in their forecasts yet. So if AMD starts to, you know, pull an NVIDIA and starts to increase guidance and raise guidance, it's not absurd to think that AMD could grow into this valuation here too. So, I mean, if you want to participate in AI, you're not going to get these AI plays for 10 times earnings. It's not going to happen. You know what you get for 10 times earnings? No AI. You know what else you get for 10 times earnings? A lot of companies laden with debt. A lot of companies that are sitting here, you know, and they got some decent dividends, but... You know, what you get is just, you know, usually declining growth or no growth. So if you want growth in this market environment, you're going to have to pay for it. I'm not saying you should chase here, but I'm saying when you get pullbacks on these companies that are going to benefit from AI, it's probably a good idea to have a shopping list ready. Okay. Uh, S&P is getting a little bounce here. We're still in the red by uh, 22 and a half handles, but uh Time to talk the IPO market, and uh, who would be better to talk that uh, with is Eric Kroll. He's the co-author of The Life Cycle Trade. Good morning to you, Eric. I saw you in the background there uh, smiling and stuff. <laughs> Are we a little bit too melodramatic today about the markets, or uh, just uh, give us your overall feel? I mean, you're 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 a market veteran here, and uh, man, what a run we had at the end of 2022. Before we get to the IPO market, yeah, which I, I know you're active in, in investing. How how you feel about the market up here? Well, after a nine week in a row uh, rally after November first, uh, kind of like follow through day. It's been a great market for a while, and then now I don't like the way the IWM is going. The small caps, it's that's not good. Um, that it's nice to see some industrial stocks doing well, but even those are taking a pause. Um, but it, like uh, Dennis was saying just recently, if it's not AI, they, no one seems to be interested. And um, you know, just you know, following up with what Dennis was talking about, I'm less worried about the blue collar jobs going away with AI. Because when I think about blue collar jobs, I think about people working with their hands. I think about plumbers, carpenters, those kind of things. I, I don't see that being taken over by AI. Maybe they'll use AI to help diagnose a problem. Um, I see more white collar jobs going away, uh, knowledge workers, that kind of a thing. Um, I'm also thrilled by the fact that uh, from what I've read in the past, you know, they train AI to look at uh, 
um, like oncology reports and they look at x-rays and they look at MRIs and they can find cancer better than the best doctors. So those are the good things. Um, I don't see that. Um, I don't really see blue collar jobs going away too much though. Yeah, are you a believer, be Eric, in the AI movement? Are you a believer in the NVIDIAs and the AMDs? You know, the relentless, I know valuation is scary, but are you a believer that this AI is here to stay and coming and, and obviously maybe coming for your white collar jobs? A great point you're making, by the way. Um, do you think the separation that we're getting between the IWM and the Qs continues? Or does eventually, you know, everything just get bought if we really, you know, like it in this AI, you know, and AI is just good for everything. Thoughts going forward, are we still going to stay in the stock pickers environment here? And should we be, you know, looking at AI on pullbacks or should we be staying away? I think, you know, I, AI is definitely here to stay. I also think the valuations um, always get frothy when something new comes out. Remember the P.E. ratios of Amazon, Yahoo, and uh, Google way back when. And they they tend to grow into it for the winners. Um, there's going to be losers, of course. And not always the first movers end up being the ones that win. Like, remember, what spreadsheet did you use first? Maybe it was Lotus 1, 2, 3. Who uses that? We all used WordPerfect. And then we That's used true. something else. And then you know we use Word. And then we use Excel. And uh, we can go through all the examples. Who was the... You know, Motorola had the Razor phone. Who has any of those anymore? So we'll see some AI for, uh, movers and leaders, and then maybe they'll be taken over by someone else who has a better idea. But I, it's always rough to buy stocks with high PEs like AI, but I would definitely buy in the pullbacks. But I'm really hoping for the market to broaden out again. I don't think the AI stocks can carry us forward without the overall market. Um, we haven't talked about financials yet this morning. But I did not like how financials reacted to this earnings report. Oh, yeah. And I was really happy to see um, like the um, uh, middle market banks and uh, regional banks moving up from November 1st through the end of the year. And now they're starting to come back. And that was like the canary in the coal mine last year when the uh, regional banks had trouble. And then we had, what, two or three bank failures that really hurt the market. So I want to see the market broaden out um, and certainly keep watching AI. And I would buy them on the pullbacks. Well, one thing that could help the market broaden out, Eric, I guess, is new companies uh, coming to the market. What do we what do we see in this year in terms of IPOs? What are some IPOs that you've been watching, uh, you know, throughout the last few months? Well, it's interesting. Um, I had a graphic that showed how many IPOs came out last year. Yeah, and let's I talk about 2023 here for a second, Aaron. Could, uh, before we go into 2024, uh, it was a slow year, huh? It was a very slow year, the third slowest in the last 14 years, both in numbers of IPOs and in dollars raised. And if you look at the dollars raised, it was $19.4 billion. Um, you know, the one last year in 2022 was even worse. Um, but then you look at $18.8 billion in 2016, and these are not inflation adjusted. So really, this was um, even lower than probably than 2016. So it was not as cold as Detroit was the last few days, but it was pretty, pretty slow and icy this year, uh, you know, 2023 for IPOs. And 180 IPOs, a lot of them were biotechs. Um, so it was slightly up. It was mildly better than the prior year, but it's still slow. So let's talk, I guess, about, uh, you know, still looking at 2023, some of the few notable names that we had i mean the first one that comes to mind is kava of course the uh, uh uh you know fast food uh mediterranean group kava have you been watching that one what what ones have you been watching 
Um, well, Cava is an interesting one because they are Mediterranean, like Chipotle, right? That's their right. Uh, their uh, the the short version of it. Um, they bought out Zoe's Kitchen. Uh, Zoe's Kitchen came out public a few years ago. Didn't do so well, but as Cava, they seem to be uh, doing well as a stock. Uh, not great, but it's something that I watch. Um, you know, how far did Chipotle go from uh, its beginning till now? And another one I'm watching is Birkenstock. Um, I don't own positions yet in Kava or Birkenstock. I'm watching them closely. Um, there, there's only like um, nine stocks that have even made gains that trade more than $20 million a day of IPOs in the last two years uh, through January 4th when I did this. And uh, Birkenstock is one of them. Um, Kava's right about break even from the day one close. And these are the three I'm watching. I'm looking at Kava Group. Um, you know, I always talk about IPOs move in three phases. You have the initial IPO advance phase, and then they go for uh, a long time in a due diligence phase. And that's typically after they undercut their day one low. And then after a long due diligence phase of six months to two years, then they uh, go into the institutional advance phase. And each of these three here are very new. Um, Kava, I would say it just had a short, maybe one week advance, and that's just kind of trying to form its first base. So I would still call this the IPO advance phase. Uh, it did undercut the day one low, um, as did Arm Holdings. Look at that one. Um, Arm Holdings is one I actually have a position in, and for two reasons why. Uh, first, it's forming this hook pattern, um, and that's been something we found in the past. Uh, my co-authors, Eve Bobach and Kathy Donnelly and Kurt Dale, have pointed out this hook pattern. And Arm Holdings also, I don't think, is really um, a new stock. You know, it's been around. It was public. They went private. And they came back. And guess what? It's a chip company in the AI world. Uh, that's yeah. part of why I'm watching it. Um, so to me, it's already in an institutional advance phase because it's institutional quality. It trades $400 million a day, um, 20 times our minimum. So it's already um, well-known, has some big funds in it. Uh, so I'm excited about that one. And then Birkenstock um, doesn't trade as much as the um, least liquid of the three. Um, and you know, it's, it's been around a while, um, but it's, it's being uh, publicly traded just recently and it's in the instant, um, IPO advance phase and just starting. So I'm curious to see what it'll do. Um, I don't know if it'll be as big as Decker's. If you look at a Decker stock long-term, uh, that thing is went from like 40 cool. in 2016 up to 700 something. Um, I'm not saying it's the next Decker's, but it's, you know, shoe companies can do well. Um, well, so, uh, so Eric, I mean, right now, I guess, are there any on the horizon that we're looking at that might be interesting? Or do you think, you know, we got to wait for this bear market to kind of play out before we start seeing more companies that want to go public uh, in this space? It usually takes about two years after a bear market before the IPOs start rising again, the number of them. And uh, we'll see a few will probably test the waters. Uh, there's a uh, company out there, Skims. Um, one of the Kardashians in, is involved with it. It's fashion uh, that uh, looks like it's more toward the uh, the you know the regular uh, woman, not the uh, the supermodel thin people. And uh, that one looks like it's getting a lot of talk. Um, and uh, there's a few others on the horizon that I'm um, I'm just looking for. But right now, I think it's going to be cold for a while and not too many. And then maybe by mid year. Uh, if we can get a market rally 
if we can get an, uh, you know, a durable uptrend, I would be looking at more IPOs April, May, June, that time period, because the best companies come out when the market's good. Let's talk about probably the primary reason that we're not seeing a lot of IPOs and that just like the overall, you know, interest rate environment, right? Uh, you know, companies wanting to do financing or, you know, come public. I mean, how much do you think that what happens in the IPO market depends on what the Fed does in 2024? It's, you make a great point. Because think about, you go back two, three years ago when it was, you know, quarter percent uh, Fed funds rate uh, and money was free and easy. Um, and you get all these IPOs come out because a lot of them have debt and they're trying to finance it with, uh, you know, um, uh, all the uh, angel investors and you're looking at uh, private equity. And uh, when they start getting higher rates, uh, private equity is not so uh, happy to hand out money so quickly. Uh-huh. And... Uh, you're looking at you know biotechs. They make there's a lot of IPOs in the biotech area, and they make no money up front. They're always you know looking at a potential breakthrough product, and it's harder to get money as time goes on uh, when you have higher you know rates. And the same thing with tech companies. You know they burn through money, and um, it's going to hurt. And when when the Fed starts to ease rates, if they do, um, that'll help the IPO market. Do you have any uh, studies or any correlations with the IPO markets in election years? No, I don't. I have not. I have not studied that. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm just. I'm just curious. So, what are the uh, big companies that are coming out this year, Eric? Do you have, do we have a list of like some names that we would all know, like who's on, you know, our agenda this year for coming out IPO in 2024? I, I had a list over here, but I'll, I'll try to find it. But it's not like a couple of years ago, we were like, we were talking about Uber and we were talking about yeah. Lyft and yeah. we were talking about Palantir and there was a lot of them. Yeah. There just aren't that many right now. And mm. there was an interesting interview with Elon Musk uh, recently where he talked about don't go public if you don't have to. It's the uh, public markets demand too much in terms of short term uh, profitability and sales growth. And, uh, you know, he's not taken. Uh, some of his companies public um the boring company and a few others because he wants to just do long-term um you know decisions that are better for the company he thinks than if you go public and there has been a, a fair amount of still private equity out there and companies seem to wait longer now they they wait till they're like almost the what do they call them the unicorns they're a billion dollars uh, market value before they even go public so they don't go public as early as they used to um, I'll see if I can find that list of companies, but okay. it's been interesting how, um, you know, there just haven't been that many rec- uh, that I, that I mean, I, I remember hearing discord, discord yeah, Reddit, Reddit, Reddit is another one that people have been talking about for a while that I don't know. I don't know what happened. I thought Reddit was supposed to IPO like two years ago. Maybe they looked at the market and said, nah, that water looks a little, little too cold for us to hop right. in right now. And discord too, for two years, we're talking about discord. And uh, I'm not sure why they won't, but to me, it's 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 a sign of how the market's still not that great. And to your point about companies waiting longer now, I mean, do you think that is is that bad for investors? Like, if 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 you were able to buy Apple when it went public, like if Apple was going through its same growth today instead of the '80s, it probably would have waited a lot longer to go public, and maybe people wouldn't have been able to get in that early. Um, I, I mean, is that a problem for everyday retail investors? 
we've talked about it, me and my co-authors, about how the longer companies wait, uh, it seems like a lot of uh, the air is out of the balloon by the time of the IPO, meaning like right. the growth is already there. They're really overvalued. They're really high valued. And if you look at, especially the last two years, um, how many stocks IPO and then just go down and they they'll, they don't just drop a little bit. They'll drop like 30, 40, 50, sometimes 70% from their day one uh, opening price. until they finally trace a bottom and then go another one or two years and then they start to go up. But it, a lot of them have dropped a ton. And I mean, do you think part of that is that now, I mean, in, in the goal for a lot of these private equity or VC funds is just to get to that IPO. They're not really worried or concerned about what happens after the fact. They just want to get that billion dollar valuation, dump it off on the public market. And then people go out and buy it on that IPO day. And the next thing you know, it's trading at, at a 30 percent at less valuation than it was. Um, I mean, is that how it's always been? I wouldn't say it's always been that way, but it's certainly worse in the last three years, especially SPACs. The SPACs, I would put those in the category of they were happy to just um, announce a deal, get the money, and then uh, and then run. Really, <laughs> um, I, I think IPOs. Um, it, there's there has been a, a large number of them that have come out in the last two years that have dropped. And I showed that one slide um, yep, the histogram. You're looking at 75% of IPOs, um, that one right there, um, are trading below their day one closing price of the of the ones that came out in the last two years. Three quarters of them are at a loss from the day one close, mm. uh, which is a large number. It's, it's more than normal. Eric, before we let you go, I have one question here, and I don't know if we're going to be able to connect the dots with this or not, but... Because they're not they're not true IPOs, but uh, with in relation to Bitcoin here, and like mm. all of a sudden, there's all these ETFs here. Now they're not IPOs; they're obviously based on the price of Bitcoin. Just from like a a, a market structure standpoint, I mean, people are looking at oh, now everyone put put their money in Bitcoin here. I just wondered if you had any. Uh, any perspective on the the recent IPO or not IPOs, but the recent new offerings for Bitcoin? Um, I, I wouldn't want to comment and say like, the, the, I don't think they're going to act like IPOs because of, it is a commodity. Yep. I would say this, the ETFs, when I looked at, uh, there was 11 of them that came out that I've seen. Um, the vast majority have very, very small valuations. I mean, we're talking like the top ones are, 100 or 200 million. But then uh -huh. you quickly, if you go down the list, they're five and 10 and 20 million uh, market value. So I don't know. I'd be very careful um, because um, if it were an IPO, I'd say those are so, um, so uh, lightly valued that I'd be afraid to even touch them. Yeah. Okay. All right. We've been on the line with Eric Kroll. He's the co-author of the Life Cycle Trade. He's been guiding us through the IPO market for the last few years. Really appreciate your insight. And uh, we'll dial you up here in a couple months. Hopefully, we'll get some lower interest rates and uh, and get uh, this IPO market uh, heating up again. Thanks a lot, Eric. You're yeah, welcome. Eric oh, Great sorry. to see you guys. Thank you Thanks, again. Man. I'm Aaron, by the way. I think it's my first time uh, having you on the show since I've been on here. So great to have you on. Looking forward to having you all on again in the future. Thanks, Aaron. All right, guys. Again, that was Eric Kroll from Lifecycle Trade. All right, guys. We've got about eight minutes left. Still a few Ooh. topics to uh, to discuss today. 
What about some uh, any trades out there? I mean, what, are there any good trades for when it gets this goddamn cold? I mean, like the the generator com- companies, the generic. Uh, I mean, I saw uh, yesterday natural gas actually went down because yeah. uh, people were saying the cold is passing. Clearly, they weren't broadcasting from Detroit on CNBC oh, when they were talking oh, about the cold passing. Because it's, it's. I mean, I don't know where you guys are joining from in the chat, but I'm hoping you guys are able to stay warm and everyone's heaters and everything is working because it is brutal out there. Brutally cold. We are full on Arctic where I'm at right now. We got about a foot of snow we've had in the last three, four days. And the bay, I've been waiting for it to freeze. While this week, we're, I think the high this week is supposed to be 22 degrees Fahrenheit here. So you're going to see some serious freezing of the bay here in the next six to 10 days. Um, it's very cold. I mean, naturally, you think, like you said, oh, yeah, well, natural gas going to be going up. But these things are seasonal trends to a certain extent, AB. And, and you're like, oh, well, we got the cold spell coming in. It's going to pop. It, it, they get ahead of it a little bit and then you know once you like get part of the way through it it seems like they do sell off and you know ung did not have a great day yesterday um i i don't think that there's this like play here where i'm like oh hey, it's getting cold i'm gonna go buy all these stocks here because it's getting cold i i, I don't see really that trade happen that often yeah i feel like you have to see specific i mean just because it's cold doesn't mean much, but like a couple years ago when you had that big storm in Texas, then you actually saw some stock implications there. Storms because, matter. Hurricane right. trade. We talk about this all the time. Generac is your best play on the hurricane trade. Um, you know, entering hurricane season, there's a play to own some of these stocks. Um, but, you know, it's, it's one thing, a winter storm, you know, with some snow. It's another thing, get a hurricane that's coming in, you know, hot and going to do, you know, billions of dollars in damage. It's a big difference. So hurricane trade, I would say yes. We talk about those trades all the time. Not a huge winter storm trade guy. All right. Uh, Canada Goose, uh, that really hasn't done too much off this. People, I don't know, those coats, I, I've tried them on a few times. Those things are uh, are super warm. Uh, Dennis, we're, we're continuing to be under pressure here. We just made, uh, after the retail sales number, uh, came down and made a new uh, new pre-market low. Are you seeing anything out there uh, in a balance land? NVIDIA here has now shifted from yes. uh, red to green here. I haven't green checked AMD. Yeah, AMD had uh, uh, given back a, a couple bucks. of. Uh, we we did have an insider AMD. sell. I haven't seen any insider sells in NVIDIA for a while, and I did note that last night. Really? Okay. Um, yeah, we had Mark Stevens selling 36,000 shares. It had been a while since I saw an NVIDIA sell. Um, well, actually, no. Friday, I guess Mark was selling some, too. So there has been some selling up here. So not true. I was just looking back at the pro here. There's been a couple of sales. So you're starting to see a little bit above sales. I mean, we've come a long ways. You know, do you want to chase NVIDIA here? I'm not a chaser. I've never been a chaser. I always wait for the pullback and the consolidation. So, you know, 500, 480 to 500 was great consolidation for NVIDIA. If you bought those levels, you're rewarded. You've now had a 14 to 15% run. Now time to digest. Maybe a little backing and fill in. Do I think we go higher in NVIDIA by the end of the year? Yes, I do. I don't think the story is going to stop. I don't think the story is cooling off even. Uh, but, you know, do I need to chase it here? Or are you going to get a shot on a pullback here? I think you'll get a pullback. Healthy pullbacks, and then, you know, you ha- you're, 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 you're ready for it. So shopping list still. Um, NVIDIA and AMD, I own them both, but would be on my shopping list if I didn't own any. Um, 
Arm Holdings is an interesting one because we don't talk about it, but it is an AI play. Um, it has pulled back here. Um, I like it when Eric talks. Eric, I think, you know, is, is a very smart investor here, and he's looking at different patterns. It's cooled off a little bit, you know, more. I, I and, th- and then the chips, you know, you're looking at all these stocks. I think that's where I'm looking. I don't think I'm looking at IWM, and I'm, I'm not looking at the banks and saying, yeah, Oh, yeah, going to get me some banks. That sounds really tasty. That sounds like the story of 2024. Banks, that's what I want to own. You know why I don't want to own banks? Because these have been crappy investments for the better part of the last 15 years. They have underperformed massively. They probably continue to underperform. If you like dividends, you like your 3 4% dividends, if you're older, you know, you want to play conservative, is there a place for banks in your long-term portfolio? Maybe. Uh, but I think that if you're an investor, a younger investor, and you're looking at saying, I want to own Bank America for the next 20 years because this is where I'm going to make all my money, I don't see the story there. Yeah, and to your point, Dennis, I mean, you brought up Bank of America. Just I, I, I was already had the chart up to use this as an example. In 2019, in November of 2019, Bank of America's stock was trading at $33.18, 2019. We're now in 2024, a little less than five years later, and the stock is trading at $32, a dollar below that. So in the last four years since that, you know, since that uh, $32 from Bank of America in 2019, the U.S. economy has grown, right? Stocks have made new all-time highs, and this stock is trading lower. So all you have to do is look at that and say, okay, the market is not rewarding these names. There's no growth here. Uh, right. and that would deter me from wanting to own this stock. Cause at any time, it, it, you know, you brought up, okay, if a stock's trading below its COVID lows, you don't want to own it. I feel the same way about stocks that aren't trading above their pre COVID levels. If a stock's not above where it was in 2019, 2020, before the, the COVID market crash, then why would I want to own it? The, Cause the economy has grown since then. Other <laughs> stocks have grown then uh, other stocks have grown since then. Why would I want to own a stock that has had no growth? for four plus years and we can go further back in this and i know maybe your charts don't go that further back but you know where bank america was in 2007 yeah i was just gonna i pulled that 55 dollars a share in 2007 so here you are what is that 17 years later 17 years later if you're long term and 17 years you're still saying well i'm long term 17 years is a damn long time that's, you know, a fifth of a lifetime here. 17 years later, this stock is down 40%. And again, okay, you got some dividends in there. You got a 2% dividend or They're a 3% not gonna do dividend. Much for yep. I mean, these have been underperformers for a very long time. They've been value traps for a very long time. Is this the big catch-up trade and we're all going to start going into the banks and owning the banks? I don't think so. I don't think that, you know, and, and not saying Bitcoin's going to replace the banks. You know, we're still going to need banks as a place for them in your economy. But this isn't the super growth engine that they used to be. Well, and financial crisis changed everything for me. You know, so many stocks. Bank America is one of the better ones. We've talked about Citigroup. Citigroup, it's good for you to take it back into those prices. And every once in a while, it's good to do these exercises because people get caught up on the banks and saying, how do I lose? Citigroup, 2008. $530 a share. It's 51 bucks. So in the last 17 years, you're down 90% on your money. Good investment. You know, so I just think, why? Why try to be a hero and say, this is the year for the banks? Because every single year, people try to do this. And every single year, it seems like they're disappointed at the end of it. Right. I don't see the AI story here. 
I don't see the story to carry it higher. They said, oh, well, you know, higher rates were going to be good for the banks. Well, that didn't materialize. That now didn't we're going work. back lower. So lower rates now are supposed to be good for the banks. They're just trying to find reasons for things to be good for the banks. When the bottom line is the banks have been really crappy investments for a very long time. Yeah, and maybe if it, uh, sorry, Joel, go ahead. I was just gonna say, except for JP Morgan, I mean there there's a few out there. JP yeah. Morgan. Best of breed. We might yep. as well own best of breed. If you're gonna own one, it might as well be JP Morgan and Joel. <laughs> that's a good point you're making. You're 10 times earnings on JP Morgan, 10 times earnings on Bank of America. Why the hell not own JP Morgan? Yeah. Well, well or you could go the other way and say, why not take a stab at the regional banks? Maybe we got to get Tim Melvin on, see what his latest outlook for a regional I banks. I think going the into. regional banks problems are not past us yet. And I think they might actually come back to haunt us here yet. They're yeah. still carrying a lot of crappy mortgages. Just as much as the U.S. you know consumer has stayed resilient because they're sitting here with you know, with their mortgages at 2.73%. The other the person on the other side of those are those all those regional banks sitting with these crappy mortgage books that we just so happen to forget about. The problems didn't go away. They didn't all of a sudden get out of these crappy mortgage books. The problems just got forgotten. They're still sitting there on the books. They're crappy and the rates are still high. We're now maybe coming down and maybe you know lower rates will help this problem eventually, but rates aren't going down tomorrow. So I think you're sitting here on regional banks saying, yep, these things are just fantastic companies. Are they? You're loaning money at 2.5, 2.7% for 30 years. You got to ask, maybe the management here should have been thinking a little bit more, not holding all these mortgage bucks. And that's why we had multiple regional banks fail. So I think these are some of the worst run companies out here. So buying good companies at reasonable valuations is the exact opposite. When you're buying the regional banks, because a lot of these regional banks put a lot of good money out for a very long time at very piss poor rates. Well, I mentioned it earlier uh, and, and Dennis, it reminded me because you said value trap and we talked about this stock being a value trap, potentially Alibaba. Um, and I mentioned it earlier, China's economic uh, data came in lower than expected GDP growth of 5.2 versus 5.3 estimates. Some concerning real estate data as well. House prices in China dropped at their quickest rate in more than nine years. Um, but, you know, these stocks have just gotten absolutely crushed, continuing to move lower. I mean, Baba now, what are we below? What are we at? $60 on, uh, on Baba? We're, we're, uh, we're, we're approaching we're, all time lows yeah. on Baba. Which yeah. is an incredible thing to say. I mean, yeah. So these these Chinese stocks just cannot catch a bid. Again, more concerning data coming out of China. But uh, Dennis, like we said yesterday, I mean, still, or like we said earlier in the show, like we, five five point two percent growth for for the uh, fourth quarter it doesn't sound like the most awful That's thing in the world. But clearly, uh, there's some other concerning numbers in here because the market wants nothing to do with any of these names. Um, and the you market know, is still just concerned on the Taiwan situation. The geopolitical risk is just simply too high. The market knows the day if China goes in and invades Taiwan that day, the FXI isn't down 5%. It could be down 50%. And that's what the market is scared of. So again, if you take the geopolitical risk and eliminate it somehow, I'm buying all these names. I can't eliminate that risk. I can't even quantify that risk. And that's why I stay away. And I've been telling you to stay away from China for a very long time because yeah, I am concerned. Have. It hasn't materialized. People will say, 
Well, you've been wrong, Dennis. China hasn't come in and invaded Taiwan. They haven't come in yet. They haven't, you know, like, so you've been predicting this. You and Money Mitch were talking about China coming in, invading Taiwan last year, never happened. So you've been wrong. Well, have I been wrong? How's your Alibaba investment doing, buddy? It was a hundred bucks then. Dennis, Dennis, you're feeling better. $40 a share. I'm I'm going long. It's Dennis Calls. You are on the rebound. I am going. You are fired up, man. This is the best you've sounded in like two weeks. I have to get pissed off to sound good. Yeah, you do. So I just wanted away. I just wanted to mention the that China news again because when we talked about it earlier, it was right when the US retail sales were coming in, so we got derailed. But I I, I thought we at, at least should mention these stocks uh moving this morning because this will be a big headline into the open, which is now about 25 minutes away. We're running a few minutes long. Joel, who is going to be our guest tomorrow? Mr. Chaikin. We're gonna talk to Mark Chaikin and get uh his view on the markets from Chaikin Analytics. But uh fun show today, guys. We covered a lot of stuff and uh hanging out on the lows of the pre-market session right near the uh the four-day low. See if we can catch a bid. But uh looks like uh the two-day losing streak turned it into a three-day losing streak. There we go. So- uh stocks set to open lower this morning. Uh, Dennis, Joel, thank you as always. Hope you guys able to stay warm today, Dennis. Uh, hope that Thanks, recovery, AB. hope that recovery stays on the right track. Sounds like it is. We will be back tomorrow. Till then, guys, make sure to smash the like. Uh, we will be doing live trading starting up now. This stream will redirect you there. You do not need to go anywhere. Till then, stay green, and we'll see you tomorrow.